Dan, Dan and I love to, uh, to match um, outfits, and I didn't get the memo about Hawaiian shirt day. So I'm a little bummed about that, Dan. Love you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Um, yes, it has been so great to be a part of this incredible church family. Today, I am very excited about what we're going to talk about. And uh, we're starting a new series called Generous Living. And the teaching team and I, uh, over the next few weeks, in between guest speakers, will be going through this series to talk about what does it mean to live a generous life? Because God ultimately desires for his people to exude the kind of character that he has towards us, which is incredible generosity. And so today I want to talk to you about time. Time is the topic for today. And so I thought it would be fun to go ahead and start off with a little quiz to uh, look at some quotes and see if you can find out who said these particular quotes about time. All right, so let's look up here on the screen. Who said this? Uh, and here's the secret. It's, it's not Jesus, okay? That's the answer that we normally give in church, okay? But who said this? To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap. Who said this? The birds. The birds. That's right. Absolutely, the birds. You guys, some of you godly people are saying King Solomon, but no, it's okay. It's the birds. No, no, they got him from Ecclesiastes. But anyway, here's the next one. Who said this? How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December's here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Who said this? What do you think? Dr. Seuss. Nice job. Oh, the pride of our student ministries. All right, next one, last one. Who said this? My favorite things in life don't cost any money. It's really clear that the most precious resource we all have is time. This is a little bit kind of vague, right? But he's a former CEO of a very profitable worldwide company. This might be Steve Jobs. That's right. Correct. Excellent. How many of you guys got three out of three? You right there. John Tabay has been in every service. That's why. (laughs) Cheating worship leader. Okay. Well, here's another fill in the blank, and I think most of us can get this one. John, resist. Okay, what is this? Time is money. Time is money. If you were born in the United States, this has been ingrained, whether you realize it or not. Time is money. It's a commodity. It's something to be consumed. It's something to be spent. It's something to be managed, right? Time is often in short supply. And if you go to another part of the world, if you like to travel, if you like to do business internationally, you'll realize that some people like to do things differently in regards to time. And you can get really frustrated depending upon who you're working with. Well, I've experienced this as well in my own life because sometimes we have a different understanding of the nature and the purpose for time. So, for example, my wife will say to me, honey, let's have some quality family time. You know, I have an idea. Let's get the girls in the minivan. We'll drive to the mall and go shopping. Doesn't that sound fun? No, there's another word for that, and it's the opposite of heaven. (laughs) And it it rhymes with tell. So here's the deal. That, That does not sound fun. What sounds fun is going to the park and doing other types of things with the girls. But there's this conflict that can happen when we don't We don't have alignment around our understanding of the nature and the purpose of time. 
Now, play this out on a much more serious scale. When you think about it, God has a very specific purpose for time. And and it's important for us, if if we want to understand how to live our lives, we need to recognize God has a purpose and an intention for time. But so oftentimes, we find ourselves falling into traps with time. And so the thing I want to talk to you today is this. I want to look at two dangers that we can fall into in our approach to time. And at the end of it, we're going to talk about what is the approach God wants for us so that we can live out a purposeful life that God has for us and be freed to focus in on the right things in the right ways. So will you join me as we look at James chapter 4 to start off our time together. James chapter 4. We're looking in the book of James, and uh, if you're new to the Bible, if you've never opened the Bible, that's okay. We've got verses up on screen. We're so excited that you're here. But we're going to start off looking at this first danger in our approach to time. And so one of the things that we notice from James, I'll give you a little background, is James is actually the brother of Jesus. And during Jesus' life and ministry, we know from the gospel accounts that James did not believe that his brother was the Messiah. It's only later that he gives his life over to Christ after Jesus dies and is resurrected. And so James is um, a very uh, significant early church leader in the city of Jerusalem. And one of the things that's interesting about James is he was known as uh, Old Camel Knees. You know why he would be called Camel Knees? Because he was always on his knees praying. He was a very pious man. So he was well-respected in the early church circles. And if you were to read through the book of Acts, you'd find he was really significant in some of the decision-making in the early church councils and stuff like that. So what is James about? James is, is all about helping these Jewish Christians that had come to faith in Christ as a result of Pentecost, as a result of the apostle Peter proclaiming the gospel. They had been dispersed There was a persecution that broke out in Jerusalem, and all these these Jews that had come for the Passover celebration, they heard the good news about Jesus, they repented, they gave their life to Christ, now they're persecuted and they're being expelled back to the territories where they came from. But they're discouraged. They're discouraged. One of the themes in the book of James is double-mindedness. And James wants to address these believers not to capitulate to double-mindedness, which means being friends with the world and trying to be friends with God. You can't serve two masters. And James is trying to give them wisdom and encouragement in the face of persecution and trials, okay? So he goes through the whole letter, and there here in chapter 4, verse 13, we find a danger that James is warning this particular group of Jewish believers about, and it's in regards to time. Verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. I'm going to pause right there. How many of us are planners? Anybody? You love planning. You are organized. Uh, How many of you just kind of love to live like, hey, we're going to go ahead and just see what the day holds? You're a little bit more of a free spirit. Anybody? A couple of us? All right. Usually you're married to the opposite, right? And it's just really frustrating. You read this Bible verse and you're like, wait a minute, is this saying planning's not good? Uh, You know, the free spirit people are like, yes, I knew it. No, 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 no. 
James is making a point, though. He's talking to wealthy Jewish Christian merchants, businessmen who are back doing trade around in the Mediterranean, that type of thing, and they have an approach to time that James is wanting to warn them about. Verse 14, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Okay, what's the big deal here, James? He's trying to make them understand, look, you don't even know what's going to happen in the future, and you're talking and making plans and having these goals in such a way that is offensive to God, and we'll find out why here in a second. Notice he says this, what is your life? In other words, not only do you not know what's going to happen tomorrow, what is the consistency of your life? What, what is your life actually comprised of? In fact, your life is transitory. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. Notice what he says. It's a figure of speech, he says. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What's happening? These Jewish Christian merchants were, were being presumptuous about their plans and about their use of time. They were actually planning in such a way that was excluding God from the equation. A very subtle but dangerous, dangerous descent. And so what he does is he wants to humble them and remind them, look, you are limited. You, you don't know the future. In fact, think about your life. It's a brief blip on the, on the perspective of eternity. You need to humble yourselves. You know, when I was growing up, I loved playing sports with a lot of my neighborhood friends, and we'd play football out in the street, and then later I picked up basketball. I had no idea how to play, and I picked up basketball with some of my friends, and I started to get really good at it. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm getting pretty good, but one of the things you realize if you get to know me is I don't have a lot of talent or skill, okay? I really don't. In fact, most of my life, I've gotten to where I've gotten simply by hustling, I'm going to out-hustle you, okay? So I'm on the basketball court, and I'm just going to run around in circles as much as I can and pass the ball. But over time, that started to pay off. People said, Aaron, yeah, join me. Hop on my team, that type of thing. So I started to feel like, hey, I'm pretty good. I'm not too bad. Hey, I'm pretty good. Until I got to college. I went to college. Uh, it was my freshman year. I'm like with my dorm roommates, and I'm like, let's go play basketball. So we go down to the gym, and we're, we're, we're showing up, and we see all these people. We hop into a game. I get the ball, and I'm like, okay, watch this. Check this stuff out. And I'm starting to dribble the ball, and all I've got is a 12-foot jumper. That's my only shot I can make. So I go up for my 12-foot jumper to show off to everybody, like, look at me, look at me, check this out. And all of a sudden, there's this blur that comes from the side of me. This blur just comes out of nowhere. I feel the ball leave my hand, and then instead of going straight into that basketball hoop, it gets sideswiped out of my hands, off to the side of the court, and this person yells, get that bleepity bleep ball out of here. The words were not bleepity bleep, okay? And, and, and it was like, whoa. And, and what was added to insult to injury is this person who just swatted me was like six inches shorter than me. I was completely humbled. I was like, my NBA dreams are over, right? And James is doing this with his community of believers. He's saying, look, you need to rem be reminded of who you really are in relationship to the sovereign Lord. Instead of thinking and planning the way you are, look at what he says to do in verse uh, 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will. 
we will live and do this or that. Now we hear that and we think, wait a minute, are we supposed to be walking around saying, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will. And some of us have heard that and we think, man, that sounds really kind of like someone's trying to sound more spiritual. But James is saying, no, no, this is a good thing because what this does is this helps humble you and be reminded that time is not yours. The sovereign Lord is the one who is in control of everything, even your life. And notice it says in verse 16 what the real root of the problem is. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. That word boast and arrogant, those are really condemning words. Boast has this idea of look at me, look at my achievement, check me out. It's a public satisfaction with how much we've accomplished, i.e., without God and giving him credit. Arrogance has this sense of feeling superior to, better than other people. And what happens is when we think of time as ours and pursuing things that we think is gonna bring us life and satisfaction, often it is so that we might compare ourselves to other people and feel better about the decisions that we've made, the planning that we've done, the money that we're making, the vacations we're taking. I mean, it's so easy for us to fall into this trap. And notice that there's a consequence to this. In verse 17, if, oh, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 16, all such boasting is evil. This is completely opposed to the will of God. In verse 17, notice the consequence. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, It is a sin for them. Now this seems like a random verse right here. Why is this here? Well, quite possibly because when you are consumed with time being your own and to satisfy your plans and your agendas, you often neglect the needs of those right in front of you. A number of months ago, I was confronted with this as well. I was actually here on a Sunday. I was working a little bit late. And I was out here after the services. It was a couple hours. It was in the afternoon. And it was just, the campus was empty. I came out of my office. I walked down the stairs. And I heard this shrieking sound as I turned the corner. This person was turning the corner like, And all I wanted to do was say, Dan, can you help this person out? Uh, Where's Pastor Dan? Uh, uh, There's somebody in need here. This person's shrieking. And they're saying, I need help. I need help. Just like that. And I I, I literally came down the stairs. I couldn't go anywhere. And and yeah, I'm one of your pastors. How great is that? And I'm like, what do you need? How can I help you? And inside my heart is hard. I want to go. I want to go home. I want to see my family. And this woman says, you're not going to help me. You're not going to help me. I'm like, yeah, yes I am. And, And so I'm listening to her and talking with her. And it's like, what's going on? And she has this horrible story. Just life, just consequences, decisions. Her health's got a problem. She's got all these health problems. And then I noticed this. She's got a basket with wheels on it. And it's like she's walking around. So like her whole life is in her little basket. And she's like, my shopping basket thing that I carry all my stuff in. It's all broken and I need help. And, and I go, oh man. Okay, let's, let's walk to Stater Brothers and let's go get you a new one. And so we take the next literally 30 minutes because she's shuffling along to go across the street to Stater Brothers and I buy her a $12 shopping cart thing for, to put her stuff in. And I'm sitting there helping her put her stuff, her whole life in this shopping cart. And I'm just overwhelmed by this moment and I pray with her 
And I leave her there because I'm just like, that's all I can do at this point. And, and I'm just blown away by this moment because I feel such shame. Like, I'm so focused on what I need to do and what I want to do that I would have walked away from this poor woman desperate for help. And so often, many of us, we, we can fall into this same trap as well. This attitude of arrogance as if time is ours and that we are the masters and we control it. God wants to rescue us from that attitude. Let's look at the second danger. It's in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke! I know you miss that, don't you? Luke. Luke chapter 12. It's the parable of the rich fool. And in just a brief background, Jesus is, is carrying out his ministry and he's speaking in parables, these stories that talk about the kingdom of God. And he runs into this one individual that, um, that seems to be um, in a place where his father has passed away and the inheritance money, and this is according to first century practices, the inheritance money goes to the eldest brother and the eldest brother usually gets double the portion of the younger brother. And so we're pretty sure it's the younger brother here and he's coming to Jesus to have, um, make a judgment on this dispute and say, hey, I need to get my money. Jesus, will you tell my brother to go ahead and give me my money that I deserve? And so right here, we find Jesus saying something about this in verse 14. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You know, Jesus is taking this moment and he's saying, I'm going to give you a new vision of the real problem. The real problem is not what you perceive to be an injustice. The real problem is the root issue which is going on in your heart. And it's uh, the second danger for us in our approach to time. What should we do with our life? What should we be pursuing with our life? And he's saying life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So he tells him this very interesting parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now what's interesting about that line right there is it tells us a little bit more of the sad state of this rich man. In those days, everyone's business was everyone's business. And you would never make a decision about the future with stuff without getting the community involved. And so we get a little picture that this rich man is isolated. And it's a result of his approach to wealth and his life. And so he says, hmm, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I'll store myself surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, we read that and we're like, well, wait, what's the problem? There's nothing wrong, right, with saving up and taking care of, you know, retirement and putting some things aside. Boy, don't we all want to be able to at some point relax? Yeah, this life is hard, right? The word that says uh, be merry in the original language is where we get the word diaphragm from. 
And, and when you're breathing, your diaphragm is going up and down, right? And it's that kind of like, oh, feeling that you get. You know, right at the end of your day, you head home, you sit down in front of the TV or whatever, you put your legs up, you relax. You go on vacation to Hawaii and you sit by the pool for the first time and the sun's soaking under your skin. You're like, yes, this is what life is about. But the problem here that this rich fool makes is he misunderstands the nature of his soul and the nature of life. See, life does not consist of the acquiring of stuff and filling our our bellies with food and drink. There's much more to life than that. In fact, God says in his word in Ecclesiastes, eternity has been put into your heart. And so what happens here is this. Notice it says this, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. It's kind of a loan language. It's time to turn back your life to your creator. Your time has come. It's been on loan for a while and now it's coming back to me. And notice what it says. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You've worked so hard. You have all this surplus and all this stuff. Now who's going to get it all? What does it matter? You can't take it with you. And notice Jesus makes the point right here of the second danger we can have about time is this. This is how it will be for those who store up for themselves things but is not rich towards God. Let me read that again. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. In other words, if you are focusing your lifetime, however long you're going to live this life, on pursuing stuff, you are missing it. If you think time is for you to acquire things, you will never experience the kind of life God has for you. And it's so easy, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy for us to fall into this trap. There is just this constant war that that we face of like looking at things and stuff and time and saying, oh, if I can just get to Friday, right? Oh, if I can just get to my retirement. Oh, if I could just get that house, the car, the whatever. If I could just get that relationship. If I could just get my health figured out. Now, are those bad things in themselves? No, they're not bad things in themselves. But when they become the idol that blinds us from the goodness and the generosity and the life that God has for us, it is so dangerous for us to walk down that path and waste the time that God has given us. And so what do we do with this? How should we respond to this? How many of you guys have ever gotten advice from a friend? Anybody? Four of us. Okay, great. Um, Let's get into community, everybody. Okay, so... But we've asked for advice, right? I know we have. You've you've used Google, right? I don't know, Google. Uh, You've used YouTube. How do I do this? We, We seek advice all the time for all kinds of things. Jesus didn't come to just give us good advice. Jesus came to rescue us from our wicked hearts that are bent towards satisfying our own fleshly desires. Jesus sees our hearts, he goes, oh, I love you so much. Your hearts are bent towards yourselves and worshiping the things of creation. And Jesus wants to rescue us. He he wants us to reorient our life towards the things that actually bring us life. And so Jesus dies on a cross 
And he takes the penalty, the rebellion that we have demonstrated towards God from the beginning of time, and he takes it all on himself. And for anyone who places faith in Christ, we can be forgiven. He steps in on our behalf, and he takes it. John 3.16 summarizes this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life starting now into forever. That's how generous God is. And that is so good news for us. Whether you're exploring Jesus for the first time or you've been following Jesus for some time and you're finding yourself easily being swayed by either of these two dangers with time. It's my time, it's my time. Oh man, time is for me, it's for my stuff, it's for acquiring what I wanna do. Both of those things will never bring you the life that God has. So how should we approach time? If you're taking notes, this is a good time to write this down. Time is a gift to serve God and serve others. Time is a gift to serve God and serve others. Now what does this do? This isn't rocket science, but this is absolutely liberating. When you become a follower of Jesus, you have a new vocation. You're no longer just a stockbroker. You are a servant of God through being a stockbroker. You are no longer a parent. You're a servant of God that serves God through being a parent. This is absolutely liberating. So often many of us think, oh, I'll serve God when I have more time. Right? We do this. It's like, no, 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 no. God is the owner of time. You're not. And, and you're a servant of God. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you're serving him. You could do that anywhere you're at. And that's really inspiring and encouraging for so many of us. Because some of us, we, we heap all this guilt on ourselves. Like, oh, I'm not doing enough, not doing enough. No, no, no. Right where you're at, the person right in front of you might just need to know the love of God. You're serving God in right that moment. But but for some of us, we need a little encouragement. We need help. We need community. We need to learn a little bit more about how God has shaped us and wired us. And that's why what's so fun about today is out here on the patio, as you walk out and you head right, there's all these green banners that talk about generosity and service. We want to come alongside you and help you get involved and start serving. Some of you have never served before. You, You never realized, boy, this is so fun. This is so exciting. And I think about my own life, my own journey. And I go, boy, time after time after time, when I actually stepped out to serve, it was due to a relationship, a friendship, someone inviting me into it. And I look back and I go, oh my goodness, look at how all the things that God has done in my life as a result of just stepping out of my friendships and the memories. And I need to be consistently reminded that life does not consist in the pursuit of stuff. It's about people and the life change that happens as a result of us serving God and serving others. And so we as a church family want to just encourage you to take your next step. You've never filled out a Connect card. Fill out a Connect card. Or maybe you have and it's been a while. Get involved. We're not trying to burden you with more stuff on your plate. We're trying to help you understand what Jesus is inviting us into, which is to become a people, a church, that is known for its generosity in this community so that more and more people would know the love of God. That's what we want to be about. It's so exciting. And one of the things I realized for me in my own particular life is this. You know, when I struggle with this whole idea of my time, God reminds me. He says, oh, Aaron, let me just show you. When, you. when you sacrifice on my behalf, I, 
I'm just going to show you new things about where life is really about. A number of years ago, I was a, a pastor overseeing a, a sports outreach ministry. And one of my phenomenal volunteer leaders was launching an event. And this event was dedicated to reaching out to underprivileged kids. And I was coming from another event. It had been a really long day. I was really tired. I was like, oh, but I should go show up and see how things are going. So I pull up over to this event, and my heart's just kind of, and I pull up, I step out, I see what's going on. All these underprivileged kids are just being loved on. They're playing, they're laughing, they're connecting with our volunteer team. And, and, and I, I walk up to the volunteer leader to see how things are going. And all of a sudden, this five-year-old girl runs up to me. She runs up to me and she looks up at me and she puts her arms up and she goes, hold me, hold me. She didn't even know me. When, when, when a little girl like that runs up to a complete stranger and asks for a hug, what does that mean? She doesn't know God's love. She doesn't know family love. And I embraced her, I held her, I asked her her name and my heart melted it's like, man, this is what it's about. This is what life is really about. It's about serving God and serving others. This is the best use of my time. How foolish of me to think that, that, that going home early and missing out on this is more important. This is ridiculous, Aaron. And I just love how God is so gracious. He's so patient. He's like, I know. I need to keep showing you over and over and over again. That's why I'm so grateful for the gospel we need to be reminded over and over and over again how generous God really is. Will you take your next step? Will you recognize that time is a gift that God's given you for however long to serve him and to serve others? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much again for your incredible sacrifice. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you are, no one can outgive you you're amazing. We love you. And for those of us who don't know you, we, we are just blown away or at this moment, many of us, and we might need to give our lives to Christ even this morning. For some of us in here, uh, we've never prayed that prayer. There's a belief team that's gonna be available for them. But Lord, I do pray for each and every person in here, whatever their next step is, in response to your word this morning, that we would leave here today Reminded that time is a gift to serve you and to serve others. Would you help us to live like that, to experience the greatest life possible, this side of heaven, in Jesus' name, amen.